We both have said that if we weren't business owners and creative services, that our skills would still translate to other fields. The same is true of our friend, Liz Weston. She brings her no-nonsense MBA to a touchy-feely industry where you would least expect it, while having an insider's look on the next generation of working women. She's a powerhouse, and we cannot wait to talk to her. But Yay. first, here's an opportunity to say hello to us, too. Mark your calendars for Friday, September 6th at 6 p.m. We'll be recording live from Arts Night Out in Lansing, Michigan at Bad Annie's Gift Shop in Old Town. Of course, we'll have the live episode available for our long-distance listeners to catch later, but everyone knows that live is always better. We'll be talking about how we contribute in our community and have a Q&A after. More info's on our site. Get excited. Woohoo! The Speakeasy Podcast, real talk about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity and business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. Excited about a Cosmo, Liz? I'm very excited about a Cosmo. I've never had one, but always wanted one. Well, let's, let's give it a try really me. quick. It surprises me. It comes from watching uh, Sex in the City. Okay. And I just, that was one of my favorite shows back in the day. And that was what they drank in these, you know, frou-frou cups. And um, so, yeah, I don't usually drink liquor. Well, you, because you're a wine drinker. I think red wine is your game. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm dabbling in the beers nowadays. I like the high IPAs. Those are quite tasty. Yeah, those are my jam too. Yeah, especially in the summer. But yeah, wine is my go-to. Very cool. Well, thanks for doing a fancy drink with us today. My pleasure. Uh, I'm glad that you like it, Liz. The recipe is really citrusy with an orange surprise. Everybody remembers the Cosmo from Sex and the City, you're right. Well, this one is nice because it has a really great little orange twist on top. So that citrusy bit is right there. So, and it's a, it's a light pink too. It doesn't feel like one of those terrible fake colors. So you know it was made from scratch. That's right. It's delicious. And also, like those high-octane IPAs, a really nice sipper in the summer. Mm-hmm. So we're really excited to have you today for, I mean, let's see. Let me go back. I've known you probably for 16 years, I want to say, maybe 17? 17, 2002. Yeah. Yep. And I remember we met because we were sitting on a board of directors together. We both had small children. And I remember being really impressed with like just how smart and put together you were. Boy, I had you snowed. You sure did. (laughs) And now that you know me better, Uh, here we are. (laughs) Well, and I think the common denominator is all all of our children, all three of our children have gone to EC3, um, Educational Child Care Center in Lansing, Michigan. And you guys have both served on the board. I have not. But Liz is now the executive director. Funny thing. Funny thing happens, right? (laughs) Yeah. But before you became that executive director, you were an MBA, you've you've done your policy work, you've wrangled all the people in suits, and I think that the difference between those two things, and speaking firsthand, having watched um, what you've done in a nonprofit setting, the ability to take that business brain and put it in a place where people don't usually find a business brain, I think it's been magical. Tell us a little bit about your story and, you know, what you're all about. Well, my story actually started um, way back in the 90s, that's the 1990s, um, with uh, one of my first jobs um, after college. I lived down in Washington, D.C., and uh, I worked for a big nonprofit, the National Science Teachers Association, and learned so much about running programs and grants and funding streams and I was so excited and had that youthful vigor 
where you know you're so smart. Um, I knew I was much smarter then than I know now, but, um, and I wanted to do so much more than was given to me because they knew that, you know, a 20 something needs some seasoning, needs some experience. And I was just smarty pants. So that was when I decided to get my MBA. And I went into that, um, the grad, into grad school thinking, well, I already know this stuff, but I'm just going to go and get it so that I have the, the credential, the, the letters after my name. Um, yeah, I was, had a lot, of, a lot more arrogance back then than I do now. I still have a smidge. Plus, I just knew I always wanted a graduate degree, and I kind of did the math, and that was the shortest one. And so... <laughs> See, law already degree, proving. Law degree is three years, MBA is two years. Yeah. See, you're already good at yeah. figuring out yeah. how to solve problems <laughs> in your 20s. But it was, it was great because uh, while I did know a, a bunch of the stuff that I uh, learned in grad school, um, there was plenty of new stuff. Uh, and it was very um, forward thinking at the time. I went to George Mason University, and it was um, it really taught me a lot. And I tried to follow a nonprofit track because out in the in the D.C. area there are a lot of nonprofits. So I gained all the skills and the letters after my name, and um, but then I promptly went to work for a for-profit company, a big you know Fortune 500 um, EDS, which is no longer a Fortune 500 company, and um, and that was a really good experience, too, because I'd never been in a large corporation. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, that was really neat. Learned a lot more, sort of put a, a bunch more skills into my, my, uh, my pack. Um, and that's what brought me up to Lansing. So when the opportunity came to me um, to uh, take over managing um, EC3, I believe my first words were, hell no. <laughs> I think that might have been right. <laughs> Having been on the board um, and kind of seeing the, the workings and, and, uh, and then in my consulting life, uh, working on education mm-hmm. policy and, and so forth, that was the last place I wanted to, to work. I do believe there was some begging involved. And please, can you help us? Because we just need somebody for, just a, for a minute. minute. <laughs> a minute. Just a minute. Yeah, I do recall. I do. I do recall. And how many um, years ago was just the minute? That was uh, about nine years ago. Yeah. 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 Because I'm I'm closing my decade <laughs> at EC3 right now. Am I not? I'm not counting. But uh, but it was interesting, actually. It, you know, when I took it on, um, there was a whole side of EC3 that was real of EC3's legacy that I saw falling off almost. I mean, this organization had been around since 1984, and I knew it as this gem, this this uh, wonderful organization little that no one really knew about until someone told them, and it was just this great place. And at first I thought, wow, I'm only going to be the one who ushers this into the grave. We were a new family at that time, so we already knew a different executive director before you ushered in, and my impression always was that it wasn't the talent, that you know, it wasn't the teachers in the classroom that was suffering at all. We were so happy with the care, but from a business owner standpoint, I saw the operations were not 
there was no policy procedure or anything that the office was kind of upside down. And so the, the reason why I was frustrated by it was that it just, there was no rhyme or reason to how things got answered or how things got resolved. And so you have been the cleanup gal. You have, but it's not ushering it into the grave. Yeah, and that's good to know too, because um, and and actually, it's testament to the the people, uh, mostly the teachers there, that you, as a parent, didn't really know that the talent was suffering because they were they have always been able to manifest the the very best of their talent and their knowledge um, to the the client base. Um, but uh, and we were on the verge of losing a lot of that. That mentality shift between we're just a little nonprofit taking care of kids to we are a business that needs to do grown up business things and make decisions. And that is the operations part, right? Yeah. And that was the thing that was uh, sorely missing. And once I got in there as director um, and really could take a look at some of the stuff, I thought, um, this this needs to be completely overhauled. There needs to be a whole mind shift. We are, a, at that time, $1 million organization, and we're acting like we're a mom-and-pop shop. Yeah. There, there was so much that was messed up, um, uh, and so it was, it, it was almost textbook, a lot of it, and it didn't take much to... Um, uh, make people happy. I remember my one of my first couple of days on the job. I didn't even. I wasn't even in my office. I stood out in the main hallway. I made myself a little name tag, big big font, um, and uh, so with the logo on it. I attempted branding, and um, and just shook hands with people. And I wore silly socks because I knew that the children are down at the sock level and I needed to romance the children and the parents because there were so many um, parents who were nervous, uh, nervous, really nervous about things. And, um, and I had a couple of them actually grill me, um, uh, you know, like, well, so who are you and what do you know about this? You don't have an education background. So how can you, uh, how can you run this place? And um, but that the thing that was my winning element was empathy. Yeah. To be able to say, my kid went here. I was a parent here. I was you. And I, I know what it's like. I know the, the, the frustrations, um, you know, and, and I've been through it. And so, yeah, I don't have an education background, but, um, but I know about education. I know these teachers, they know me, and we're gonna make this good. We're gonna make it good. It's really changed the conversation, I think, just for the 100 families that are in and out of that building every day, reminding them that you take it so seriously and you're setting the tone for everybody that works in that building. I think it's been unbelievably valuable. I started at EC3, again, with the teachers. And uh, my first order of business was starting to treat them as professionals and have sessions. I, I remember I sat down with each one of them, one by one, all inside of my first four weeks um, on the job and just to get to know them individually um, and talk to them about, you know, what the, was right at EC3, what was wrong, and then imparting on them, the, you know, the, the importance of what they do. So getting the teachers then to, to view themselves as a real critical component of the future, 
not only of Lansing, but the, you know, the future of, of the nation and the world, that the, you know, the, the, the things that take place in the brain from zero to five, or especially even zero to three, are so incredible. You can never make that up. There's just no way to make that up if you don't get some good stuff in there in those years. It's, an, it's really incredible work. And for, for you to empower a group of men and women to consider themselves teachers instead of babysitters, I can, I can just see how multifaceted your approach has been to change how that business has run. And it's been really, really unbelievable. And I don't think anybody who had been, and I say this with respect, only because teachers have such a gift in their in their you know, in their own right. But I think it only took somebody who could look at it with a business brain and see how multifaceted it could be and really pull what's possible to the business. You know, like I said, I didn't really go into it with the plan of being there for a long time or of overhauling um, anything. But the things, all the components of improvement kind of fell into place that way and I was able to employ all those different, you know, skill sets, the communications, and understanding your different constituencies uh, and, and how you're going to communicate with each one and um, what needed to be done. And then also just making decisions on the fly, which in the education world isn't done. <laughs> it's just not done. They have typically, and I say they, cause I really don't want to be associated with it. Um, it's all decision by committee. It's all dragged out, um, as long as possible. And the freedom to be able to make decisions when they needed to be made, um, has really been part of what I think has made me, um, successful. Um, you know, in doing you know, what I do. And I think it's also given me the confidence of, you know, my board of directors um, and many, many parents because I handle things, you know, which is, is something. And in the... the she handles things. <laughs> I handle things. She's the fixer. She's You're the basically fixer. Olivia Pope. <laughs> and I like popcorn and wine, too. Fantastic. So. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. But... Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's definitely been something that uh, I, when I look back on it, I think, wow, it all just played out. It's been playing out. And interestingly, a couple years ago, maybe three years ago, I was just getting to a point where EC3 was on a path towards financial health. You know, the um, our our debt was uh, being reduced and we were uh, keeping enrollment up and I had the right people in my administrative places. So I had a, a mental transition plan and I said to my board, I'm giving you my 18 month notice, nice long notice, but I think things are good and I, I want to do new stuff, um, you know, because I am just that type of person. I think that's maybe the, the entrepreneur that's inside of me. And um, probably within, you know, six months of that is when I was approached by LCC uh, to, to do new stuff. To do, <laughs> yeah. Um, having a high quality early learning center on a community college campus, um, that has a value. And that val- values have numbers. And we and we found that number. And, um, and so now we're, we're, we're partnered appropriately. Um, so that's been just a really neat, um, a neat thing. And I think back and I'm like, 
well, you said you wanted to do something new. <laughs> and the universe said, here, is a gift for you. That's right. Best exactly. of luck. I'm interested in knowing, I know you've given some pushback in terms of not wanting to be pigeonholed as a female executive. Give me a little sense for that, because you've, you've had quite a ride these last nine, ten years. You've made incredible transformations in the organizations where you lead. So um, sometimes we have to wear our, you know, our femininity on our, you know, as a badge, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like, no, I'm just an executive. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your resistance. When I started out, I knew that coming off the heels of a couple of executive directors who hadn't had some of the skills or even the um, fortitude uh, to make some hard decisions, I didn't want to uh, to follow that path. Right. So I think in a lot of ways, and I've done this in previous jobs as well, I got fired from one um, for this reason. I've overstepped bounds. Um, I've probably been um, a lot uh, tougher than was necessary for any given situation, sometimes. And uh, because I have this mental idea. Um, but other times, um, I can actually identify you know, certain ways in which I'm being handled differently than I know a, a man would be handled or talked to differently uh, than, a, than a man would be handled. And um, now I think I have a smidge more maturity on most days. Not every day. (laughs) But don't you think, too, that um, maybe that's why, even though you're oh hell no (laughs) when you were approached with this, maybe that's why you were part of why you were the right fit, that Mm -hmm. maybe your strength needed to be in a place where you would empower a building full of people who needed that empowerment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I definitely think so. I think that was definitely an advantage at the outset and has served me well and served EC3 well very um very often so um but but it's interesting now especially having having had program directors that i consider my my partners um who are more the traditional um uh, you know softer side but um but it's been interesting because then it's been much easier for us to divide the skill sets, the administrative skill sets, the you know all the finance, all the money stuff, that's all me. And then all the people stuff, that's all you know Betsy or Beverly. They can, you know, and, and I often you know joke about um, the good cop, bad cop, just like we do in our homes, you know, with our partners or whatever. Like, okay, I'm going to be the bad guy today, and um, so I always say, well, I'll I'll be the dad, you be the mom. Although most moms and dads that I know, it's usually the dad who's the softer one. Okay. Yeah. It's I'll raise my hand there. I know. I, my, my husband was the one that did PTA. Let's put it that way. Um, no, I, I, I find it, though, this, I always feel like being an executive director and being an entrepreneur are very similar in these regards. And a couple of things you've noted is get someone who's good at the things you're not good at. Get out of the way of the teachers because they know what they're doing. You can take care of the other things. So th- these really like understanding your strengths and where some other skill sets are necessary is so critical for making an organization thrive. It is important to um, know what your strengths are and um, and get other people to fill those other strengths. And then even as a business or an organization, 
you have to know what your core competencies are and not to branch out. I remember when we were on the board um, way back and money was tight. And so we would want to fundraise any which way we could. Um, you know, we talked at one point about um, <laughs> about partnering with dry cleaners so you could drop off your dry cleaning with your children and then we'd go and take it to the dry cleaner and then we'd add a little bit onto it and charge it on your... T- I mean... In retrospect, what a bad idea. Oh my goodness, can you imagine? <laughs> but, and we were selling cookie dough, remember, and pizza kits. Didn't we think about dinners at some point? Dinners, yeah. yeah. And, um, but Extra all those babysitting things... nights. All those things fly in the face of our true mission which is to educate young children and their families. And so one of the first things I did when I took over as director was say, we're not gonna do any fundraisers that don't directly support our mission. We don't need money that badly. Um, and, uh, I, and I think that's important. And a lot of, I've seen a lot of um, organizations and businesses it sort of get real muddy on the edges and go into other things for a variety of reasons. Jen and I have talked a lot about that. Yeah, people, I imagine people, in your businesses. Well, you say yes because you're afraid to say no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it gets really fuzzy on the edges. You're right. And you're doing something you're not good at and you're not well qualified and that's a disservice to your client anyway. And Well, sometimes you, sometimes you have a person who's really got a, a skill set that's really great, event management, let's say. And um, there, there are ties between event management and, and marketing, you know, and surely that would be a really neat thing to offer clients. And then that person leaves your company. And then what? Yeah. So you got to be clear on, on uh, what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. I have a question based on something you said earlier about core competencies. And I've always found this fascinating. I mean, clearly you're a mom. Helen is 18 now, mm-hmm. and you've done that on your own for a while as a single mom, but you've also seen hundreds of families come through, and you've seen all these kids grow. What would your advice be, and what do you think we should do for the, the next round of professionals that are, that are coming our way? What would you tell them? Wow. Um, well, the first thing I would tell them, of course, is that um, this is not child care. This is not daycare. This is school. Get it in your mindset that this is school. This is also why it's called tuition. Exactly. <laughs> um, it, it, so that sort of like me empowering the teachers by getting them to see themselves as professionals, I think a lot of moms need to, to understand you know, their role and that they're not giving anything away by letting someone else um, give education to their child. I think it's easy for us moms to think, oh, well, mom means everything. And it's like, no, it really doesn't have to. Um, so I think the first thing I would uh, you know, try to counsel them is get your child in a good school uh, with people whose core competencies are early learning, and then um, uh, let go a little bit, you know, um, try, trying to be like a, the best mom and the best employee, and um, everything else, that whole balance thing, remember that? No. (laughs) But that's the one thing that I, when I see new moms, and that's still some of the struggle, uh, trying to to do everything, and I would just say, it's not possible, so don't go after that. Rest in your decisions, um, and good, bad, or otherwise, they're, they're the choices you made, and move forward. Don't just sit on the, you know, the what ifs and the I'll tries and 
I had a cherished, a cherished teacher um, see that I was coming in day after day exasperated with a two-year-old. And she would see that all the coping mechanisms I had in my body were no longer in my body by the time I was at drop-off at 8, 30. <laughs> and she just looked at me and said, just don't bring him in close. Bring him in his PJs and I'll change him. Mm-hmm. And I cherish her for those words this day. And I do remember once, even in the infant room, um, expressing that, or even in you know the toddler area, I would go to pick up my child and they'd go, oh. <laughs> and I was expressing that to a friend and she would say, doesn't that upset you that they would rather be with someone else? And I said, no, I would be sad if I would arrive and they were miserable. Yeah. Like they have a bond with somebody else who loves them just as much. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. My time at EC3 is coming to a close and I'm feeling all of the things about it. It's really interesting. But I've been so lucky. It's interesting for me to, um, having seen, well, both of your kids, um, you know, be born and then come through and now we're almost done with yours. We've been done with yours. Um, it's, uh, and people, some people say, you know, oh, it makes me feel so old. And um, but really, it's the nice thing about it, I guess, is that there's always more. There's always more children. There, you know, and you can't ever really get old uh, when you're working around children. Um, so it's and for me, you know, since I don't work directly with children, um, I I, it, I have to sort of get out of my office get out of my uh my space and uh go around and and sort of be uh present you know read some stories or do something just to to remember um you know why we're doing all this or to experience what the teachers are going through um and so that's the thing that i want to make for them the best possible employment experience so that um they feel valued so that they understand um, that what they're doing is important and that I have their backs. Um, so it's, it, it is something, you know, like, like I said, that I've, I've, I never thought that I would necessarily retire from, uh, from EC3. And um, I've got a long ways to go before retirement, so uh, I don't really think too much about it. But I thought, you know, there probably is enough stuff, and especially given now we have a second center, there's probably enough stuff um, that I could keep on doing um, that would still keep the thing fresh for me. Because early learning is thankfully getting some of the play that it needs to have. Yeah. And you're still writing that really good case study. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good case study. About how to successfully turn around a ship. Yeah, I am. I actually, I, I, I have a, some notes ready to do some trainings. I was going to um, try to do one at the next big conference on um, for other directors on some of the business aspects, sort of like the operating a business for the non-MBA. Um, because even the, some of the meetings that I've gone to and talked to other directors and they're, how do you deal with payroll? And um, I farm it out. You know, oh, it just that even some of the things that we take for granted, you know, as, as business owners and managers, um, those are things that other people in this field 
um, still don't know. And well, so. I mean, that's really the genesis of the podcast is really like leaning on each other and go, well, what do you do about that? And oh my God, like, oh, of course you do. And, you know, she's talking about it particularly, you're talking about it particularly in early childhood education, but lots of nonprofits are in this situation. Lots of small businesses are in this situation. So a small business might think I need to keep doing my own payroll or I need to DIY X, Y, and Z. The sooner you can make a smart business decision about what to farm out, and what to keep in your plate, the, the sooner you can be stable and grow. Mm-hmm. Well, you can focus on your core competencies. Yes. Yes. It's a hard word, competencies. Um, well, I don't have an MBA. So I <laughs> School of hard knocks. Oh, Liz, thank you so much. Well, this has been fun. I'm glad you asked me. Liz, what do you think about a Cosmo now that you've had one? I think that that's probably what I'll get if I go to a grown-up um, uh, event and uh, have my options in front of me. I think it's very tasty. Oh, so glad. And for this one, we used a local vodka. We used American Fifths vodka to make it, which is delightful and just down the street. So We did not use local lemons or oranges. That would be really difficult. When your lemon tree grows up, Karen. Yes, Liz. We call actually, we have a lemon tree in the office. We call her Liz. (laughs) Liz Lemon. Yep. I get it. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Easy Underground. As we mentioned at the top of the show, our next episode is being recorded during Arts Night Out in Lansing, Michigan at Bad Annie's Gift Shop in Old Town. We'll be talking about contributing in our community with a Q&A after. Join us. Can't wait. Cheers. <laughs>